Welcome to the Entrepreneur of the Month podcast brought to you by GetResponse, the marketing software with more than 300,000 customers around the globe. You guys know me as Jamie Turner. I'm an author, a speaker, and an ambassador for GetResponse, and I'll be your host for today's show. Before we dive in, I want to remind you that GetResponse will be hosting ResponseCon in Boston on April 9th and 10th of 2019. Check it out. You can just Google ResponseCon in Boston. You'll find it everywhere. Lots of great speakers there. Lots of great learning there. Hope you can join us there. Speaking of great learning, I want to welcome to our show, Eddie Yoon. He's the author of Super Consumers and also a blogger, a strategist, a big thinker, somebody who goes out and provides a lot of videos for people to learn a lot about how to grow your business. Eddie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jamie. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Now, let me ask, I'm just going to kick off. Tell me a little bit about your first job. What did you start out doing straight out of college and stuff like that? Yeah, so I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I think some vague vision of grad school is on the list because my parents would have been happy about that. But um, I had a buddy of mine say, uh, these consulting firms are recruiting on campus. Why should check them out? I'm like, I have no idea what this is, but I figured it'd be a nice way to just kind of delay any kind of real responsible decision making. And so I ended up doing, um, joining an uh, a mid-sized org strategy merger integration firm uh, called Sibson and Company, and uh, I, I remember very vividly the, the assignment that I spent the most time with was the merger between Price Waterhouse and Coopers and Librand. And so I, I was like, what, 21, 22, and it was great because the, the clients were 12 senior partners from all like tax and accounting and consulting from all over the world. There was no central place to meet, so we met everywhere. And so I was gallivanting around. We were in London and in Paris, and then we went to Melbourne. And it was it was a blast as a young person. But then I worked very hard, kind of helping them stitch together that that firm and the strategy going forward, only to see regulation come shortly thereafter, and they had to spin out consulting. And so I was very disillusioned very early on about what was the point of everything that I had done. And yeah. Uh, that led me to consider one of my colleagues left to join the Cambridge Group, which is a growth strategy firm uh, for any kind of consumer-related businesses. And um, I thought, you know what? Rather than on the execution side, let me try the strategy bit. And the consumer bit was actually quite interesting because it would allow me to explain to my parents what exactly I was doing because, you know, it was food, beverage, and media and the like. So I, I went figuring I'd stay just for a little bit and go back to school, but I stayed for nearly two decades um, and because uh, I kept learning and having fun. Oh, that's cool. So growth strategy, you go in, you figure out ways to supercharge businesses and kind of get them performing better than they are now. A lot of our listeners are in business for themselves and trying to get to that next level. Were there any, any lessons that you learned about growing that might have applied across all the businesses you saw or any specific lesson you learned consulting with some of these folks and going, ah, if they just did this and then it happened. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, the, 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 it was really quite interesting, Jamie, because like the part of the reason, so I left my role as a senior partner about a year ago to start my own gig uh, to join, you know, just like your listeners, uh, the realms of the entrepreneurs and the like, but in, in part because I, I started to see the same patterns over and over again. And I was like, you know what, this growth stuff is a lot easier than people make it out to be. And it just sat, seemed wrong to hoard it as it were. <laughs> just yeah. like, there's some things that are pretty universal. So, um, so a lot of what I had written in my, my book, Super Consumers, was this idea that 
every um, kind of consumer related or B2C category that I've seen, and it, it does work in business to business as well, but like um, every consumer category that I've seen has a small fraction of consumers that, you know, they spend more and they care more about the category. So not necessarily a brand specifically or a product, but they are just into movies. It's not just the Marvel franchise or they're into um, all fruit, not just Chiquita bananas. And that, that particular nuance of um, when you can find somebody who is spending a lot, so they're not just talk, uh, they're putting their money where their mouth is, but they're also um, uh, uh, engaging emotionally. So it's not like they're buying loads of bananas because they got hungry teenagers in the house. They actually care about the category. Then what you get to are a set of people who, uh, what I always say, they figured out a category hack, like they spend in general, so I've done the math in like 125 categories and around the world in a lot of countries and that the top 10% of consumers generally represent about 30 to 70% of category sales. Gotcha. And you know, that, that sounds really exciting and interesting on its own and that you might want to capture. But the, the really the best part about it is that these aren't like uh, super wealthy people. They're not people who have like a dozen children or something like that. It's just they figured out different uses for the category that makes their lives better in way like they're like the MacGyvers of any kind of category. And stuff. Yeah. So once you can have uh, you kind of understand how they have figured out alternative uses for the category, that's when the magic happens and you can start to figure out new ways to create new products or market or business models even to figure out how to grow a business because I think. Uh, in addition to this, what I've really kind of realized is that um, these super consumers, uh, they can help you figure out how to grow the category. And mm -hmm. my research has found that, um, you know, the, I would say out of the, my consulting career, nine out of 10 companies, the way that they grow, they plan to grow is to steal share from somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. And so, Jamie, you and I are in the, the water bottle business. And I can grow by taking from you. I'm going to copy your product and discount it or outspend you or whatnot. And what I found is that the companies that grow the best are actually like competition is yesterday's strategy. And what they decide is like, I just want more people to drink water. I want to make the pie bigger. And yeah. when I can make, figure out ways to make it compelling for people to drink more water. Everybody wins, but I'm going to win disproportionately. Like my, my research has found that 1% of companies capture 80% of all category growth. Wow. So it's really a great strategy. And then the last bit is that if you really want to grow faster, then you should create a new category, which I always say, it's not just um, like, uh, it's, it's not as extreme as creating a new element on the periodic table, but mm -hmm. it's also, um, you know, not as simple as a new product. What I often find is that it's the combination of a new product or service plus a new business model mm -hmm. um, come together in that those category creators um, they grow revenues four times faster and their market capitalizations grow six times faster than comparable companies in their space. Fascinating. So, so, so we're talking first mover strategy there. Is that, is that would, what you'd consider first mover on that? It's, it's part and parcel of that. Um, uh -huh. I would say that it, you don't have to be the first, but uh -huh. it's, it's this idea of, um, the best way that I can describe it at a macro level is that I view companies on a spectrum of art on the missionary versus mercenary scale, right? Uh -huh. And um, the thing that I think that's really quite interesting is that the reason why you see nowadays startups, smaller companies really outfoxing big companies mm -hmm. is that they have more of a missionary mindset than a mercenary mindset. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, the, the missionary mindset, usually a lot of these startups are, 
uh, and entrepreneurial activities are, you know, founders who are like, you know, I'm just so frustrated with XYZ product or service and I, I can do it better. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get to a place where I've, I've cracked the code for me, but every people, every, everyone's asking me for the same thing. I can make this better for a lot of people. And that, that kind of missionary aspect, like they weren't in it to make a buck. They weren't in it to be famous. It was, I was really frustrated and I wanted to make something better for myself and others jumped on board. So now, it's, just to, to ask a question on that, so then it's not necessarily first mover as much as it is the missionary stuff you're talking about. Somebody yes. with a passion and who says, hey, I, can, I think I can ramp this up, which, which of course, you know, Steve Jobs was famous for actually not being the first guy to introduce a lot of these things, yes. but the guy who really leveraged it. Cool. Fascinating. Keep yeah. going. I interrupted you. No, no, no. It, it's, 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 uh, you, you mentioned Steve Jobs and Apple and, you know, to your point, not the first to create an MP3, but he envisioned a world where, you know, it was not just about uh, capacity and storage, but it was, I want to make something beautiful. Like he, this idea of aesthetics that it, it doesn't just, there's beauty in the music, but there's beauty in the design. There's beauty in the user interface. And, you know, I, I, I they talk about, you know, um, his liberal arts background, right. Is, is that I think his ability to I, I, like the way the, the other way to describe missionary is there's something really beautiful about when a product gets used in a way that makes someone's life much, much better. Mm-hmm. And that kind of uh, beauty that I see and that it helps others, or it's, it's so much just more enjoyable, mm-hmm. is that passion you, you, can, you hear people talk about. When I see that in companies, big or small, they tend to succeed because they're not thinking about how do I make my numbers and they're not thinking about how do I get promoted to the next job. They're thinking about a vision that is inclusive of the consumer, inclusive of their partners and their suppliers in a way. Whereas the mercenary mindset is the exact opposite, right? It's, it's this whole idea of, you know what, it's all about what I need to do. And I, I, like, I'll give you an example is that I, I wrote about MoviePass recently. Yeah. Um, big in the news, are they going to survive or not? And, you know, AMC, after bashing them, has come out with their own version of subscriptions and stuff. And, you know, my view of it is that neither is really got it right because they're both kind of on the mercenary mindset, right? Is that AMC, um, they, they copied the program, but it's still, it's a loyalty program and you can only go to AMC. And they missed the vision of what MoviePass had, which was like, I kind of want you to be brand agnostic because that's the best thing for the consumer. I don't have to go to your theater. I can go to somebody else's. Now, MoviePass, the same deal is you might think, hey, I'm making movies cheaper, but they're really very clearly saying, I just want to get big so that I can mine your data and advertise to you. Yeah. Right? And yeah. that's, that's kind of the devil's bargain that they've laid yeah. out there without really saying, no, this is really about our passion for the cinema and we want people, or said, you can watch Netflix on your iPhone next to somebody else watching Netflix on your iPhone to the cows come home. Yeah. There's something magical about being in a theater, watching it together with somebody else who's super passionate about that, right? And that neither side has really figured this out yet. And so I'm still waiting for somebody to come along and do that. But I think this idea, and and the telltale sign that I find is that if of a majority of the leadership of a company start big or small are themselves super consumers of the category. That's a good sign, right? Because they get it and they want to make it better, not just for others, but for themselves too. Whereas I've been, I've worked with companies and I've seen companies where very large ones where I I remember uh, uh, I did a speech at the top 100 uh, uh, leaders at this one company. And I did a survey to see how many of them were 
super consumers of the category that they made, it was 13 out of 100. Mm. And so, which meant 87 out of the top 100 neither bought a lot nor cared a lot about what they made. Interesting. And, yeah. You know, like, how can you actually perform well? Yeah. That's yeah. the case, right? Yeah. I mean, all, you know, all these things notwithstanding, but I think this, this idea of a small set of people are valuable, they care a lot, they spend a lot, and they're really articulate about how you might double a category. Yeah. And that if you can actually grow a category or create a new one, your business will succeed far greater than any other strategy that's out there. And I think I've been on this mission of how many people can I tell this story to so that they understand that, you know, it's not easy to execute. That's, that's really quite hard. But the strategy bit, which I built my career on, is actually a lot easier than I made it out to be and others have made it out to be too. <laughs> a lot of truth to that. You and I were talking about that earlier, that, uh, that a lot of times it, it gets back to the fundamentals, just the blocking and tackling and yeah. just work those, those skills. Strategy is important, but also execution and tactics are uh, as well. Let me ask you a question. So for, uh, for just a couple of days ago, it comes out that Apple's a trillion dollar company now. Mm -hmm. I am going out on a limb here and I'd be curious about your perspective. I'm probably the only person out there saying this, but I think Apple is actually in trouble. Two thirds of their revenue comes from, an, from the iPhone. Mm -hmm. They're all in on this. They've missed the boat on uh, the home speaker. They've yep. missed the boat on cars they've missed the boat on the reinvention of tv which was really done by netflix who knew that netflix would be reinventing how we watch tv so i'm just curious about your perspective you can agree with me or disagree i don't it's okay but i'm just curious if you've given it some thought i'm sure you have yeah it, it, it's it's a great question so um my sense I'll, I'll, i'm gonna cheat is um my sense is the the over under on whether they're in trouble or not is a function of um are they able to create another new category? If you look at this whole, right, it's the, you know, they, they were slogging along in laptops and, 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 and PCs for a while. You know, then comes the iPod, then comes the iPhone. So two great categories that they've created. And then the ecosystem with iTunes and then the App Store. And then the, the tablet, my iPads, you could argue, you know, kind of sort of there, right? It's maybe halfway in between. And then since then, it's it's been tricky. Like the Apple Watch, I think, you know, anyone would, be envious of doing that business, but it's unclear if it's basically nothing has been as successful as the iPhone itself, right? And yeah. So I think um, to, to your point, it, it it could have been, and they're dabbling in all these places, be it you know entertainment and movies with carpool karaoke or you know cars. They've long been rom rumored to do stuff there, but um, the only other thing, I mean, I think their 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 trouble is probably as much a function of the uh, law of large numbers, right? You hear your trillion kind of hard to figure out another trillion dollar strategy. So the only thing that I can think of that I'm not saying that they have figured out or they will figure it out is healthcare is of the order of magnitude of a trillion dollar company. Yeah. And to the extent that um, whether it's a new category or it's new software or new services that like um, I, I've read some of the stories of people who've gotten an Apple watch and have had magical weight loss as a result of that. Right. Mm. And, um, you know, which prompted me to get one because I was like, oh, I would like to do that. But it right. really, it's a lot harder than just buying one and wearing one and stuff. Right, like, right. Who um, knew? Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I, I think that's the, the, I mean, there's a lot of, um, going back to this missionary mindset type of a thing, right? Um, I think there's a lot of interesting soul searching going on there about, you know, their role in creating this magical smartphone that is now consuming so much attention, causing auto accidents and the like and stuff. But like, 
I think for them to tackle something on the ambition of, you know, obesity remains a monster issue for us. And, and, um, you know, cancer is out there. There's all these things that are related to diet and the like and stuff. And so it, it strikes me that if they can either combine their devices and their ecosystem to really get people to change their lives in a meaningful way, then that'll be different, right? Yeah. Um, if, if it can be, now, I have no idea how they'll actually do that um, mm -hmm. with it, but... Um, well, you, yeah. might, you might be onto something with the healthcare. So I got on Facebook and said, you know, I know everybody's a big fan of Apple. And I have been too, by the way. I've always mm -hmm. been a big fan of Apple. But I said, I'm going out on a limb here. I think they're putting all their eggs in one basket. And five or 10 years from now, they're going to realize it. And think about all the companies, whether it's Amazon yeah. or Google or Netflix or any of these companies that have passed up Apple in terms of inventing things. Somebody did respond and say, Hey, don't forget about healthcare because they're getting into that. And that, that I think that could be the saving grace, but they, boy, it sure seems again, if I were running a trillion dollar company, I'd be <laughs> thrilled if I was doing what Tim Cook is doing. But, I, but I do, uh, I do think they've got uh, their work cut out for them. Let me ask you, as we round the bend here, yeah. um, you've gone from seeing and working in larger corporations. You're now a solopreneur. We've got a lot of people listening to this who are entrepreneurs, startups, and solopreneurs. What advice would you give them in terms of just kind of kickstarting kick things and, and getting going? What have you learned as a solopreneur that you could pass along to the folks listening to this? Yeah, it, it, it's uh, what I've, what I am still learning, I think is, um, I think the power of story and, you know, in, 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 in many respects, like there's, there's, there's a lot of people out there who do similar things to what I do. Um, and, uh, I think my first year has gone very well and I'm very pleased with it. And, you know, beyond the usual suspects of serendipity and dumb luck, right? Like I, I, I attribute part of the reason why it's worked for me to the power of story. And what I mean by that is, um, my ability to recount my career in a handful of stories and that the, you know, like I, I don't talk about, you know, these are all the things that I've accomplished and this and that. What, what I talk about is I've had eight companies that I've worked with over 20 years that have doubled in their size in a five to seven year time period since the work that was done there. And I can tell you each story there, right? And no one cares about the analysis or the great strategy. Like it, 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 I, I tell the story from, you know, um, the business doubled. The reason why they doubled was they, you know, again, same narrative as I, as I told you before, they'd figured out there's a small set of people that were using their products in a way that was very different than what they imagined. They had empathy, they had humility and kind of reoriented their business around that. And what they found was that, you know, whatever they did, um, it, it's almost like you get rid of a GPS and you just get a compass and say, whatever is going to happen, I'm just going to go that way because that way is what these people that are most passionate and, and, and most profitable do. And, you know, over time they drove significant growth, even when the prior years before that it was flat. And so I think those stories I've taken with me and I tell those stories. Um, the reason why I, I love going on these podcasts and doing speaking and, and writing is there's more stories out there than, than I can be associated with. And I think sharing those stories are really important. Um, but like, to me, it's whatever you're doing, um, you know, the, the days of like my 
product or my offer is better than the other guys, that's really hard to do because there's an abundance of talent and offers. Uh, or the days of my prices are better than the other guy. I mean, that's not a sustainable path. Like for a solopreneur, you better be good, you better be different, and you better be more expensive because prices only go down. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Gotta start high. <laughs> that is actually great advice that prices do, you know, in the end, prices do only go down mostly. Yeah. Um, and I think I remember as a solopreneur doing some consulting and, you know, somebody encouraged me to double what I was charging. I was getting ready to send in a, a, a proposal and I, I went, all right, I'll do it. I did it. And it gives you, they approved it, it gives you the freedom to do a really good job yes. because you're not sitting there trying to rush through it because you got to get to the next thing because you're only making, you know, minimum exactly. wage on or whatever. You're going in and you're saying, I've got time to really sit back and step back and really devote some time and attention to this. That's, that's great advice. I love yeah. what you said there. Um, Eddie, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, you, you can find me on social, either at Eddie Would Grow on Twitter or uh, just find me on LinkedIn and all my videos and articles will get posted up there. Or uh, if you uh, reach out to me on my website, uh, www.eddiewoodgrow.net, then there's a newsletter that you can sign up for that also has a content there. That's awesome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Jamie Turner. This has been the Entrepreneur of the Month podcast brought to you by your friends at Get Response. Join us again soon. And as always, look for us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and at getresponse.com slash resources. Thanks a lot. And we'll catch you next time.